My goodness me. Here it is. Predictable. Well choreographed. Perfectly rehearsed. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Grassroots, the only podcast dedicated solely to the Grassroots women's game. In this intimate wax of an episode, we discuss rugby equipment, returning from injury, Sherry gets stuck in her end of season dress. Jodie has an unfortunate problem, we meet Tia from Yeovil and Carly from Bridge North Ladies. Just a word of warning, Chez says it's definitely not appropriate for the school run this time. 22 months out with a triple knee operation. She runs in, tries for fun. Lou. She has got a remarkable strike rate. And I'm Jodie. The forward who can't stop scoring. And Molly. The cannonball coming through. And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. So I'm here with Carly from Bridge North Ladies. Carly is a winger for the Bridge North Ladies team. And we're going to ask her a few questions today about her team. So Carly, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. So Carly, tell me a little bit about your team. It's a very good team. I think the league went very well. And they have a very bunch of talented, all different in their own way. And then when they come together, they make it better. So tell me a little bit about your rugby journey then. How did you get into the game? I started like a young age just in like school and then because I ran for Shropshire my dad kind of thought rugby's probably best for me to play wing and he's friends with one of the women's ladies Neris so they got me into it and then I started training for the under 18s and then as I got to 16 I joined in with the women's training and then they kind of just went from there and now I play. In terms of your team are you in a league in the local area? Yeah they've just finished the season league came second on the table division. Oh well, second, that's a good result. Is that what you expected to achieve or have you over exceeded where you thought you'd be? I think it's very good. There's yeah. a lot of talented teams, so for us it's good. Bridge North is, it's not fair to say it's in the middle of nowhere, but it's in a part of the country where there's not a lot of towns quite close. So how do you go about recruiting players? It's very difficult for younger, I think the older people it's a lot easier because they like to do it as like a hobby and to have fun whereas the younger like when I was in the younger generation it was hard to get them out of school colleges because they like to do other stuff like hang out with their friends and it's not very well known so it's it was difficult getting people from schools because a lot of schools don't let them train women's rugby in secondary school so that was difficult and obviously the area Bridge North, we at Shrewsbury is quite close and Stalbridge are good to play against but other than that you've got to travel far or they've got to travel here. So what's the best thing about playing women's rugby for you? I think the fact that they build you up and it's like a family like they've really helped a lot with each other's like maybe issues and just support really with everything. What about the other side of that then what do you find difficult or frustrating about playing women's rugby? I think the fact that it's not very like the Six Nations people watch them like the men play but women isn't very well known there's a lot of people like my grandma example and i told her i played rugby she was like why you're a bit small for that and i was like it's not about the height it's about if you have fun if you're part of a team that's nice and that's so common to hear in the game isn't it that people play rugby but they have to deal with these perceptions and people's attitudes towards them playing and so on from your own perspective then carly what has rugby given to you I think it's given me a support network like I've been a lot confident like it's been a confidence journey for me and just finding people I really fit in with and just sports has always been a big impact in my life and I think rugby is definitely the one that I've enjoyed and it's helped me a lot. What's the plans for next season then for, for Bridge North Ladies where do you think you're going to be going? I'm not too sure yet I think 
come September when we start training for the next season I think we're really looking forward to it and we'll train throughout the summer and we've got our rugby tour in July so that'll be fun Ah tour where are you going on tour? In Wales So who's in charge of all the tour proceedings? I think Neris and then the captain of the team Lindsay probably just the club like yeah. a lot of the managers So who's the biggest nutter in your team? I'm not too sure actually Is that because it's you? <laughs> no, I, no I don't think so <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So if you were talking to other players or other women rather in the local area who were maybe thinking about coming to George Bridge North Ladies as a player, what advice would you give them? I think just do it, like go out there and have fun. I mean even try it out, like there's nothing wrong with trying it. If you don't like it, you don't like it. But our club, we've had a lot of people say our club's the best. We like to take it serious when it's a game, but then we also have fun with it yeah. so it's more enjoyable and we don't stress each other out. So do you know Darren the Pasty Man at Stourbridge? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Darren the Pasty Man, he's a big fan of the pod. He's a bit of a wrong'un. <laughs> so women's rugby, where do you think it's at? You know, grassroots women's rugby. You know, if you looked at it as a, as a whole, what are the good things about it and where do you think it needs to learn and develop? I think the good things are like everyone's different and we all fit together. But I think it definitely needs to improve with being more worldwide and knowing that women can play rugby and a lot of the time like we can be better than the men like especially in the six nations how we haven't lost for a very long time but the men have but people still watch the men more um and i think that needs to change because the women they're very very talented a lot of the time carly it's been absolutely brilliant to meet you today i wish you all the best for next season Thanks. it's very difficult when you go into the off season keeping the squad together and so on and making sure that people come back next year what plans do you have in place to make sure the squad stays, stays together I think social interaction like outside so when we finish the like training in the summer I think just keeping in contact in our group chats maybe like hanging out down here with the bar area and then because I work down here it's mm. easy I see them a lot and then yeah I think just keeping in contact making sure everyone's okay and then coming back next season stronger absolutely Carly thank you so much for joining us thank today you. really good to meet you thank you Anyway, end of season, how are we all feeling? Still recovering, if honest. <laughs> oh, that end of season. <laughs> oh, end of season do. I thought you meant that, not end no. of the season, because I haven't obviously played any rugby this season. But you've got to recover from that. I'm recovering from both, but mainly end of season do. I think everyone went pretty hard, didn't they, apart from those that had Cheshire the next day. Laura, did you manage to stay the right side of sensible for the game? Yeah, I didn't. I had one glass of wine. That was it. <laughs> I'm not good with a hangover. I cannot be running around on a rugby pitch. I'm not one of these people that can play well with a hangover. I'm glad there's somebody else out there like me. People go, oh yeah, I play better with a hangover. I'm like, I am not what? that person. Who in the world ever says that? No, exactly. So one of my, it's kind of a cross-sport shame moment, I was trying to play cricket with a hangover. when I played for Twickenham a long time ago. I was opening the bowling. Like, I, I turned up with a, yeah, after a fair few the night before, not feeling too clever. I was hoping I could like go and hide for half the game somewhere on the boundary, not doing very much. But yeah, the captain wanted me to open the bowling. Anyway, a few balls into my first over, I had to run behind the sight screen to be sick. And uh, as I was being sick, I heard this, this voice saying, are you right, mate? I looked up and it was Jason Leonard. No. He stood there with, <laughs> yeah, he stood there with Tim Rodber. And um, yeah, I know exactly. And oh. I think it was like Phil Green. Who was the other guy? Some other guy, like mega famous. No Dean way. Richards, that was it. 
Yeah, and they all lived in the same area, and they're just sort of having a wander, watching the cricket, and there's me, some of my rugby heroes, just watching me vomiting behind the sight screen. It's like, yeah, cool. Not your finest moment, then? It wasn't, no. (laughs) To meet some, like, serious rugby legends, and you're you're throwing a ring off (laughs) behind the thing. (laughs) No, exactly. Although I did get a wicket in my next over, and Leonard did say, nice bowling, mate. So, wasn't all lost. Did he, though? Yes, he did. <laughs> I think Matt added that bit in. Yeah. And um, talking of celebrities, I was in the clubhouse yesterday at Handsworth Rugby Club, and uh, they have an annual sportsman's dinner. Oh yeah. Don't all jump at once. Who do you think their guest is? Jamie Roberts. Nope. Next. Oh my God, Johnny Wilkinson. Nope. James Haskell. It's a long way nope. to start here. James Haskell is not going to be the fave, which we'll discuss in a bit. No, but, isn't it? <laughs> but what is my speciality? What's <gasps> my... Oh, yes. 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 Oh, let's go. No. Can we go? No. No, 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 no. Can we all go and wear gloves? No. <laughs> but honestly, to be fair, I've taken a picture of it and I meant to send it to you, but I couldn't quite believe it. We do need to go. Could we? Actually, who would be like the optimal after-dinner speaker then? Because every time I see them come out, I'm like, eh. Every now and again, there's one that really surprises you. But who, who would you really love to see? Who would you pay like 50 quid to go and watch? Not Clive Woodward. I absolutely despise him. I can't stand the man. Oh, the ref. Oh, Nigel Owens. Nigel Owens, he'd be oh, ace. Yeah, I think he's a good chap. He is. What's his name? Was good, wasn't he? Who do we have at the club? Oh, Wayne Barnes. Oh, he's my favourite ref. He was really funny, wasn't he? Really, really surprisingly funny. funny. And his wife, actually, on Twitter is even yeah. more funny. Go on, <laughs> Polly. Yeah. She's a legend. Yeah. I want to go see Johnny, even though I wouldn't actually care what he said, just because I want to be in the same room as him. What, Johnny uh, Wilkinson? Yeah. Mm, agreed. I know you're going to go, oh, but like some proper old school props, so they can tell uh. us all the, st- yeah, I know. <laughs> They've got all the best stories, because they're normally just such miscreants. that They've got the best proper old school rugby banter stories. That's down true. in Old Spice and shit like that. Oh, I tell you, he's supposed to be really good. And actually, I, I heard um, there was some YouTube clip of him speaking on a after dinner thing. Was remember Gareth Chilcott? It's probably before your time, Molly. You were only about two when he was playing rugby. <laughs> two. The name yeah. rings a bell for me, but I can't honestly. He's basically it. bald, massive moustache. Used to play for Bath. Oh yeah, like a big West that, Country accent. Yeah. yeah, he was a bit of an enforcer. He went on the lines <laughs> and basically was there to just cause trouble. He'd be good. What about you, Dubs? Who do you want to see most? I quite like Lou's idea. You know, though, when they do really funny, like Ellis Genge, when he did like a really funny post-match yeah. interview and things like that, you think, actually, I reckon you'd probably be quite funny at this sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Oh, who's the guy with the really bad mullet and... Joe totally Marler. I was going to say Joe Yeah, Marler. he'd be ace, wouldn't Absolute he? hero. Him he and Jamie George make me laugh yes. so much on Instagram. They are amazing. Because not one of you have mentioned a female rugby player. I was going to say Giselle Mathers from the Wasps coach. She's meant to be unbelievable to speak to. Yes. You can get one on the pod. Fergus is mates with her. Right. Let's use our connections. That's a really good point, actually, though, Matt. We automatically think of male rugby players. And even though we're women rugby players, why is that? It's probably because they get more airtime, don't they? So you get to hear from them more. So people like Sarah Hunter would be good. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And is there something to do with as well that because of the fact that there were well, only a few of them are now professionals and so on, that 
they don't perhaps bring the banter the way that the old school men used to because if they talk about something a bit silly and it gets out in the public then it can probably affect their work and, and all that a bit more than yeah. perhaps it used to i totally agree i think they come across a lot more serious than some yeah. of the men have done or are currently for a very good reason obviously it's nice to actually hear them speak in real life and you get to actually understand a bit more of the real person not just their pr profile that's a good point actually because they're so media trained these days aren't they that mm. It's very difficult to hear the real person. But, Dubs, I mean, what's your take on that? Why do we get less of a sense of the female players' personalities? Is it because they're just not on TV as much, or is it because they're perhaps a bit more guarded than the male players? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think you probably don't see them as much. There is obviously more representation when you watch kind of commentator teams and things like that, but certainly not not as many. And, and that's only come to the forefront recently, I reckon. And, yeah, I think probably with social media... There's so much backlash to everything that I think people have got to be a little bit careful and, and how things come across. You might say something in, in the kind of discussion and you think it's funny, but then how that's then interpreted, you, you've got to be very careful about that. And I think probably 15 years ago, that wasn't really a massive problem. So then you start to see these big personalities. There's no backlash to that. And they're kind of seen as legends. Whereas because women didn't have that platform pre-social media, you don't really see that as much. Yeah, but let's just talk about all that whole situation and the James Haskell situation that's happened. I know you wanted to talk about that, Molly. Yeah, so I've only caught the last little bit, but basically it came from a social media post that went up, and I think it was the Good, the Bad or the Rugby that posted it. And it said, was it famous or most standout? Most standout of all time. Yeah, and I'm not being funny. Like, I'm an advocate for the women's game, but logistically and just time and the amount of games that there's been and everything there is going to be potentially a lot more men with more caps than women but I think the whole argument was that women weren't even considered in it and it doesn't say men's most capped props it says most capped prop when actually some of the women that have played probably are up there but they weren't even considered so I've not read into the whole thing because I only briefly saw it but I just think James Haskell's basically been made out to not care because he said, give it a rest or something or have a day off. Yeah, he said, have a day off. <laughs> yeah. So Rocky Clark is the most capped England player of all time. Uh, she had more caps than Jason Leonard. So when this came out as a sort of fait accompli, most capped English players of all time, the argument was that Rocky Clark should have been at the top. So... <laughs> You can look at it two ways. One, it's an oversight and they didn't caveat it with men's players. They just simply forgot. Or the latter point is, which I think is probably closer to the truth, but more on a subconscious bias level, which is they don't regard the women's caps as as valid as the men's caps, perhaps. But either way, somebody called out James Haskell on it. And yeah, it was a, uh, I think it was one of the Bristol props called out James Haskell on it and he made a pretty inappropriate off the cuff remark back again and all hell's broken loose and all the usual suspects have piled in and you know given Haskell a bit of abuse. So yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you'd like to believe that it was an innocent mistake. Because I listen to the good band rugby. They, they seem like good guys. They work hard to promote the game. They're brilliant at grassroots level. They do a lot of really good things. So to string them up and go after them over something like this is perhaps a bit harsh. But equally, it kind of confirms what a lot of people think, which is people just simply don't value the women's game the way that they do the men's game. You're like you, Matt, I listen to the good, the bad and the rugby and 
they have women's players on there. You know, Jess Breach, Rachel Burford's been on there, Molly Pack has been on there. And they've even created the good, the scars and the rugby, which has got Elmer Schmidt, isn't it, that does the commentating and Mike Tyndall's involved. So I find it difficult to believe that there was anything of malice in it. I think it is an oversight, but again, James Haskell's known to be not the best with his comments. Do I think he's potentially saying he doesn't agree with women's rugby or value them? No, but I think he's just gone about it the wrong way. But we can all guess, can't we? I think it's just an oversight. It's not necessarily meant horribly. It's just they've not thought, have they? No, but I, I think it's the response to it as well. Instead of just going, yeah, fair enough, actually, we could have recognised that actually this is just talking about male rugby players. The kind of, oh, just have a day off. That feels quite dismissive. And again, it comes back to, might have been meaning it a bit tongue-in-cheek, but also you just think that's probably not the best thing to say to people who feel like they're continually trying to fight to to get recognition and seeing some amazing results from that recognition and then saying to it, oh, just have a day off. Mm. A bit like pipe down woman, isn't it? It's a bit yeah. like that, isn't it? It's a bit sort of dismissive, arrogant, whereas the correct response would have been, crikey, yeah, you're absolutely right. We need to fix it. You know, repost it with her name at the top or just change it to men's and maybe put a comparable uh, list up for the women's game it's, it's not difficult stuff whilst social media can seem pretty savage sometimes it also has a very short memory and if you do the right thing on the whole then people that start crowing and squawking they soon shut up when people do the right thing in my view yeah i think it's just one of those comments that went a bit wrong but also like dubs has just said you know it could have been dealt with a lot better we <laughs> could have just eaten his words a little bit and gone yeah, actually, reword the original post and just deal with it. Because now he's just probably, there's a lot of backlash, there will be. And yeah, it's going to be tough to deal with if you'd have just said something restorative in the first place. You wouldn't be in this situation. Joined today by Tia Shrimpton. Uh, she's a player down in Yeovil, a Yeovil ladies. I picked up on something Tia put on Twitter recently and we gave a little shout out to her about it and delighted that she's accepted an invite to come and join us to talk a little bit about her journey in rugby and also her team down in Yeovil. So Tia, welcome to Grassroots. Thank you and thank you for having me as well. No problem. So I guess as a starting point here, why don't you tell us a little bit about your team? Yeovil women, we've Obviously, with COVID and that, we had a, about a season out. And um, I think the reason that we've been doing so well this season, unbeaten season, was because we had our coaches were like super dedicated with us. When we could finally do exercise, we were doing like the six people. They'd be at the training ground for sort of like four or five hours in an evening when we were training so that we could just do sort of like handling work, fitness, things like that. And I think it's also really brought us together as a team as a whole. It's almost like, you know, a second family and it's like something, an environment that I've really thrived in and really enjoyed. And it's all down to the coaches and the girls that are so dedicated and committed to the team. Unbeaten season, that's really going some, isn't it? Tell us a little bit about that. Which league were you in? If I'm honest, considering I'm the vice captain, I wouldn't be able to tell you. It's, um, I think it's NC two down in the southwest right, yeah so it'd be nc two in southwest or something like that i think it's just like i said dedication on the team's half we train twice a week some of the girls will go up half an hour an hour earlier and get some extra practice in we've had some incredible new girls take up the game as well like this season 
some of the girls you're looking at and you're thinking you could easily go up two, three leagues if you really yeah. wanted to. And just sort of the environment that our two coaches, Simon and Fran, have created as well. It's such a an easy environment. It's really open if you've got questions or, you know, any worries. They're really good at just sort of reassuring or changing what they do to make the team better. Yeah. Going unbeaten is really challenging. The team I'm involved in, Crew and Nantwich up in the Northwest, we've become close to unbeaten a few times, but it's really, really difficult to maintain the availability, the enthusiasm, covering for injuries and so on across all of those games. It must have got pretty nerve wracking towards the end of it. We nearly lost in the last game. I think it oh. was... Um, it was 12-0 in the first 10 minutes and we were all just sort of stood there and you know anyone who's played rugby just knows that you get to behind that try line whilst that kick's being taken and you're thinking what on earth has gone wrong? How do we get ourselves back into the game? It was just one of those things the coaches came over, there was no anger or anything with anyone, it was just sort of do you want this? Do you want to go unbeaten? And I think it really helped us with just our mental strength in the game. All of a sudden, we'd scored a try. Now it's 12-7. This is a lot easier. Well, we know we can score. Let's all just sort of group back together. Don't lose your cool or anything and get back into it. And by half time, it was, I think it was 21-17. And then in the second half, the only ones that scored were us. I think it ended... 43-17, I want to say. That sounds like fitness was the biggest differentiator between the two teams. Yeah, mental strength and fitness is such a, I know it's only like a grassroots game, but it really does make a difference. And the community within the team, I think you don't just play for yourself when you play rugby, you play for every single person on that pitch and you don't want to let anyone down. It can be quite difficult when you're very successful and riding high and clearly chasing either you know, a league promotion, unbeaten season, which are usually the same thing, actually. It can be quite difficult to keep the squad together because the players that are maybe on the fringes a little bit, that are maybe newer to the game or so on, when the intensity increases, clearly the fun decreases to some degree, doesn't it? How did you go about keeping everybody together and focused in the last few games of the season? I totally agree. Sometimes the fun can, it gets a little bit more serious and everyone's like, right, we need to win or we, we want this really badly. And I think what was really good is for the really new girls, there was a lot of friendlies and things organised. So although they weren't necessarily making the team sheet in every game because we'd have like 30 available, but only 22 spaces, they were then given, say, 40 plus minutes on the pitch in a friendly or a whole game. And the ones that have been there longer, so the more experienced ones, were like, right, you could sit this one out so that these girls can have some time on the pitch, get the experience. And it's also not as stressful because with a friendly, you still want to win, but there's nothing in it if you didn't win. So No, and you can actually experiment with positions, can't you? You can change the format of the game. You can even in some situations swap players across teams to make it either more competitive or play a different way. It's a great learning exercise. It's quite difficult to arrange friendlies though, isn't it? They often result in cancellations because teams sort of, they're running two squads, find it hard to get numbers out. Yes, we did have a couple cancellations. And I think as well, especially for like, you know, new teams forming this last season, it can be quite daunting to look at, a team going unbeaten throughout the seasons, like scores and that, and thinking, do we really want to play a team that's winning 43 to 5, put our new players out there? Which is yeah. why we always like, when we have our friendlies, we always say like, we're happy to lend players or it won't be first team. 
So it takes the pressure off a bit because otherwise the new teams can't learn. And the more local teams that are in your leagues, the better, because it means you're not traveling like three hours for a game on a Sunday. So Totally. Who are your biggest rivals then? Due to this season through local and being a new team that have done really well, it was probably Crewkern. They only lost maybe one or two games. They've got a really good setup going, a really good team as well. And it yeah. was just, I think, you sort of get that, you're local and you think, oh, We've got like a little local, little rivalry going on, but they gave us a really good game and they've got some really fantastic players in their team. It's a nice part of the world, Creeker, and I think if you can recruit the right critical mass, then a good setup like Creeker will generally do well, absolutely. On that note, actually, Tia, I don't know Yeovil very well. I, I was brought up in Somerset, so I know that area quite well, but other than playing the old game of cricket down that way, I don't know it. How did you go about recruiting players then? Our captain and the social team were really good at getting people in for the Facebook groups. Uh, we've had a lot of really good publicity as well because we had mixed ability teams join. So that's really helped. We do a lot out and about, like trying to sort of, you know, get into the newspapers and things. And a couple of the girls, obviously outside of rugby, also do things like CrossFit and that. And they've always scout in the gyms to try and get somebody to come and try it. And I think what gets people in is how great the team are and how friendly they are and everyone wants to share their knowledge and then that keeps them there and I think that really helps with the recruiting and that coaches always say there's no pressure you don't have to play if you don't want but it's really good to even just have the numbers at training and we did have one of the girls join who was just going to join for a social and this season played her first game and in her first league game scored a try so it's just sort of getting the people up into their confidence and making them feel like they're capable of playing the game first. And then, you know, you don't want to just push them in and go, right, you're brand new. You've never played a game before. First games against Kruker and sort of thing. You try oh, and get the them in attendees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You mentioned your coaches. Obviously, coaching, I've coached women's game for a number of years now, is a delicate art, I think it's fair to say. If you get it right, it's the best thing you'll ever do. If you struggle with it, it can be really tough. How have your coaches managed to pick up coaching a, a women's squad? They are super dedicated. I mean, you get like the players groups on Facebook and that. And um, Simon will constantly be posting like, oh, have a look at this technique for tackling or have a look at um, this move for the backs or the forwards. And I think as well, he's really good at tailoring his coaching technique to each person. Obviously, everybody's different and they don't always respond positively to a certain technique that somebody else would. I think as well, allowing the players to have a voice. So we all feel like if the coaches say something and there's a, an experienced player in the team that can help add on or explain, they allow the more experienced players to also help coach. And I think that does make a big difference as well. They are absolutely fantastic. And I think that also helps, you know, having everyone absolutely adore them in terms of just their being people. Yes. And there's a massive difference there between men and women's rugby. I think with men's rugby, generally speaking, you know, coaching can be quite autocratic. The coach has, is the ultimate authority. You often find it a slightly more almost military style approach to managing the team and coaching the team. With women's rugby, if you adopt that approach, you soon find out that it's not going to work. They always say to us, it's like with the men, you say, right, we're doing this drill. And they just go, all right. And our coaches say, with you, we need like 50 reasons why we're doing this drill, <laughs> how it's going to help us, what we're going to do. And I'm like, yeah, but how are you supposed to, you know, learn more about the sport that you play if you're not questioning what you're going to gain from it in a 
game situation, I suppose. Yeah, I found the same experience. I think you had to explain why you were doing it and exactly what was expected within the drill. Otherwise, players wouldn't really buy into it and would soon get bored or even in some situations be disruptive. Again, going back to your point there, it's really important to understand why you're doing things. I think, you know, I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, if I could go back in time and start playing rugby after seven years coaching, I'd be a far better player because I understand parts of the game that I never really paid much attention to uh, because I had my skill set and the things I was good at. And I just went and did that rather than thinking about different components of the game, different ways I could be effective and so on. I think that's the thing as well, like especially with Simon and Fran, they've played. If you play or, you know, you really love the game, it just makes a difference. And like I said, with their commitment, they just love it when we're doing well. That high that you get from a win or a move that you've been practicing, finally paying off in a game really makes a difference and sort of, I suppose, brings the team together as a whole to see like, oh, we're finally what we've been doing, all the little moves and that, that sometimes are like, why are we doing this? Finally paying off and getting the big win at the end. Totally. So Tia, how about your journey in rugby then? How did you get into it? I was sort of just dragged along. I was nine years old and my mum was like, "Um, I've always wanted to play rugby. I think you'd enjoy it. Let's go and uh, check it out. And struggled a sort of little bit in the mixed. Obviously, I was... Now you see a lot more girls sort of starting when they're younger and it's absolutely brilliant. But I was the only one for a couple years. Then I moved out to Sherbourne and really started to enjoy my rugby and sort of find out that, do you know what, actually I'm not a forward at all. I should be out in the back running around, even though I really hate running, like <laughs> absolutely hate it. I always say in spite of yourself. Yeah, I know. I was like, sometimes I just wish I couldn't run. <laughs> I, I, when they're like oh we're gonna do some fitness or something I'm like no it's not for me I'm not made to be a back I think the first four or five years as a forward really has ingrained into me that I don't like running at all <laughs> it probably though gave you the experience of a different part of the game that's very useful out in the backs of it I absolutely love a ruck like absolutely I think as well especially because a lot of forwards you know look at you and they they're like oh it's a little back I'm going to be able to just ruck them out of the way or they're not going to move me. And then you put them on their ass a bit and you're like, yeah, I can still ruck. I absolutely, I really do. It's, and as well, obviously, it's scary when you first start and someone's like, oh, you're going in the forwards. Like that's where all the bashing happens. And I actually think that's what gave me the love for the game. So like, I genuinely, it's my favorite thing. I just, yeah. I should be out in the 10 channel waiting to set up a try or something. And I'm like, no, I'll get in that ruck. Yeah, I'll go and crack some skulls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the reason I initially became aware of you was uh, somebody, I think somebody had shared a post you put on Twitter about how anxiety disrupted your season a, a year or two ago, how you overcame that. I mean, that's a great story. We did a, a lot of work looking at um, mental health on the podcast a couple of months back, and it's something that I see happen quite a lot as a coach. You know, talk me through that part of your rugby journey. So I've picked up a couple injuries, I think over five seasons. I had like a torn rotator cuff, came back for about a year or two and then ended up with sciatica and that really wiped me out. I think I was out for about two seasons. And I think when I came back, it was just, I still adore the game. Like I get itchy when I'm not training and stuff. I feel like I'm like, what would I do on a Tuesday and a Thursday? if we didn't have training and I think it was just sort of like you know as you get a little bit older you get a little bit more aware of just sort of 
injuries and the risks that come with playing grassroots rugby. If you get injured, you've still got to go to work on the Monday or, you know, you've still got to get up and do things and carry on as you normally would. I think that didn't help. And um, just sort of I've been always been a fairly anxious person. I think that just added to it. But I mean, when it all first started, I mean, I couldn't even it was over sort of three or four years. I couldn't even travel to away games. I couldn't eat in the mornings or like obviously everybody gets those kinds of nerves. It just got to the extreme. They'd be like, right, you're going to go on the pitch and start in a minute. And I'd be like throwing up on the side of the pitch because I'm so nervous about what could go wrong or what if I let the team down, things like that. And it made a massive difference. And I have to say the main reason why I managed to achieve what I did was because of uh, one of the coaches allowing me the space and time to gradually get my confidence up enough to actually be able to travel to an away game, let alone start a game. Um, He just sort of said, there's no pressure to start. There's no pressure for you to even go on if you don't think you can manage it. But the support was there for me. And then this season, I made myself a promise. I was like, I need to make every game. I don't even care if I start or not. I just need to get on the pitch for every single home and away game and actually managed it. And it is mostly down to one of the coaches. Wow. That's a great story. It's all very well giving yourself a talking to, isn't it? You know, I mean, I think I've seen this pattern play out a number of times with various players over the years. And a lot of them just get to the point where they walk away from the game entirely because they just think there's a lot of pressure on availability, there's a lot of pressure on training, there's a lot of pressure on seeing out the season and so on. And some players who do struggle with anxiety find it really, really difficult to get to a place where they can silence that part of their brain. It helps having somebody in the mix supporting you along the way, I guess. But were there still times this season where you thought, I can't do it? Yeah, there was one, I think we travelled to Swanage and Wareham. I'd not been feeling great in myself anyway. And we got to the game. I started to feel sort of like really tired and just sick. And that's usually how it all starts. And I turned around to my coach and I was like, I just don't think that I can start. I was like, give me 10, 20 minutes to settle myself down, you know, have a bit of a quiet moment by myself and I'll be good but it's really the freedom I won't say it's like you know completely fixed it's just knowing that the team and the coaches will give me that freedom of you might not be starting but you're there on the bench for when you're ready to get onto the pitch or and I genuinely think the vice captaincy of the team has helped as well because now I'm more focused on making sure everyone else is ready and making sure everyone else's spirits are up before the game that I'm not now focusing and worried about how I feel because I'm more focused on the team as a whole and it really does make a difference. Well, to anybody listening then, he's maybe thinking, Koki, that's me, which is, I'm sure is happening. What advice would you give them? It's very easy, isn't it, to sit there once you've had like a good season and say, oh, don't be so hard on yourself. But with rugby, I think it's such a great community that if you can find the right people within your team, I mean, at the end of the day, your team and your coaches just want the team to do best. And if that means giving you some space and time and taking the pressure off of you, I really think they should be made aware of that. I've been really lucky with my coach that he 
did it all for me. He saw me. He said, look, the pressure's not there. It's the only pressure that you're creating is yourself. And I think once you realise that and you realise just how much of a community the grassroots rugby creates, the pressure sort of starts to ease off a bit anyway. You know, if something that did really help as well is that sometimes taking a week off of training, if you know you're not feeling right already, does make a difference. And like you said, towards the end of the season, the pressure's up and you know, you, you're wanting to win games, you're either wanting promotion or not to go down or just finish your season off really well. And I think sometimes people just forget as a whole that can create more pressure. So just for like coaches and teams in themselves, just give people that space. If you see someone struggling, I think to give them the space and the reassurance that they're part of the team and that there's no pressure, there's no bad feelings if they need that time out it really does make a difference yeah huge absolutely i think it's easy to to just get so blinkered with next game next game next game that you lose sight of players that are maybe drifting off a little bit and before you know it's too late i think sometimes yes exactly and i think as well the pressures behind with grass roots rugby everyone's got a life outside of rugby and as much as you want to do well one of the things is sometimes allowing people to know that they have that space to you know if if your kid's ill and you're going to miss a training or you can't get a babysitter or you yourself aren't feeling well does it really matter if you miss a a training session or two to take time to look after yourself in any way mentally or otherwise and I think that's what our team have been really good at and also spotting it now that um, mental health is more of a spoken about topic it's not so taboo so that if someone's not feeling right you've now got a bit more freedom to say are you okay is there anything you need and rugby just creates such a great community that you can tell your mate you're like oh I'm feeling really crap today I'm not really in it and they've got your back you might be messing up in training but you've got someone saying it's just one session or you've just had a bad five minutes just take a break come back or just don't be so hard on yourself. And sometimes you just need that external reassurance, which is Basically. what I've been really lucky with the last couple of years with everybody. Yeah, sounds it. So Tia, what's rugby given to you as a person? Just a massive family, honestly. I probably would be struggling a lot more right now, especially with you know everything going on, like with COVID and that. I've got a really tight-knit group of friends and they really understand what I need when I need it and sometimes without me even knowing what I need and when I need it and I think as well for rugby you just make friends that you would just never make outside of that sport you know I mean we've got girls in our team that are just celebrated like their 50th birthday and then you've got like the 19 year olds coming in but everyone just gels so well because it's such a great environment that yes you would never have met on the outside but this one small thing has brought you all together and you find some really brilliant like friends and just it almost feels like a second family, you know, and everyone can sort of rely on each other or back each other up when you're not feeling great or you need help. And it doesn't have to be at training or on the pitch. It can be going out for a drink to watch the women's games or today we're going to watch the Bristol Quinns women's game at Ashton Gate. So. 
you know, it's just small things like that. Absolutely. It sounds like a great setup down there in Yeovil. Tia, listen, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the podcast. I, I found it really interesting listening to you talk. And Yeovil sound like they're in an absolutely brilliant place. And obviously next season going into a higher league, I'm assuming, it all starts again, but with a little bit more pressure on the, the first set of games, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I'm looking forward to the challenge of it, I think. It's going to be cool to see how the team as a whole managed to stay together when you're not constantly winning games. As we all know, sometimes a loss hits you a little bit mentally. So it'll be a really good challenge for the entire team to just see how we all cope with a little bit more of a, a challenge and how we cope with the losing and the winning and what we do to sort of overcome that. Yeah, I think what you'll find is you'll surprise yourselves. When Korean Antwich got promoted from NCT to NC1, we went into it thinking that it was going to be really, really difficult. But actually, all of the work we'd done to get fit and really take that first set of games seriously took a few teams by surprise. And whilst the season wasn't win every game, we certainly held our own for the most part. And I'm sure you'll you'll very much do the same. Like you said, I think the fitness side of it is a massive thing. And uh, one of our coaches is army fitness. So, you know, we'll be dying within 15 minutes of our first session, I'm sure. <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, Tia, thank you so much. And good luck with any end of season celebrations you're having or if they have already happened, I hope they were they passed off without any incident and uh, good luck going into the pre-season. Thanks, Matt. And again, thank you for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. No problem. He's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I, the rock. I the river, I the tree, I am yours. Your passages have been paid. Inch by inch, play by play, till we're finished. The Greeks had Socrates, Romans had Cicero, the French Descartes, and this is the Shakespeare of grassroots women's rugby. This is where legends are made. Jez says. I don't even know how podcast That doesn't look like a kitchen, Lou. Are you lost? <laughs> There's yeah. no grill behind you. Have you been suspended on full pay? I've gone through my own disciplinary uh, working from home on full pay. <laughs> Found that you need to take some time off to reflect on your actions. Yes, I do. What was it? Okay. Sexual harassment? <laughs> Discrimination in the workplace. I told them to work harder. Misuse of kitchen produce. Oh, uh, Matthew, that's the secret. <laughs> Why have you got 25 cucumbers on order when we only ever sell 10? <laughs> Yeah. Carrots, and where's all you. the garlic <laughs> <laughs> Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, step too far. I probably need to stop watching YouTube if I can get on with work. <laughs> Do you need to give yourself a disciplinary? I have, yes. I'm suspended on full pay as well. Yeah. Gardening leave. Gardening Joyce leave. is spending yeah. all day trimming the bush. Takes a, lot. <laughs> Takes a lot of work these days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're going to fly bow out. Practically a full-time job. <laughs> when did you get older, they get bristler. You, you know, his hairs come from all over the place now. I'm that... having the opposite problem. My legs are basically going bald. <laughs> no, no, Batik. They've gone grey. You just can't see them anymore. No, they, have, they are actually bald. We discovered this in the pub a couple of weeks back. My friend announced to me last week, and she thought it was normal until I nearly wet myself. You know Platty, don't you? Yeah. She's like about five foot tall and about four foot wide she's like a weeble but she's really lovely she's like umpty dumpty but female anyway okay. she announced last week but very normal she wasn't cracking a joke 
that when she shaves her... Lady garden. Yes. She does it over two days. I said, what? (laughs) She thought it was normal. One side. I said, if I'm doing it, I'm doing it. She goes, yeah, well, the thing is, I have to put my leg up (laughs) on the bath and do it, and then the mirror steams up, so I do the other half the next day. (laughs) So how's it ever going to be equal? (laughs) That's not normal, because there's going to be a bit of growth, isn't there? Jessie just immacks the whole lot off. <laughs> because of the shape of her, she said I have to really like bend down. I can't get to both sides. And by the time I get to the other side, the mirror's steamed up. So I do it tomorrow. Like after 24 hours. Is that normal? <laughs> Surely side one has got a bit of regrowth by the time she started on side two. I think I might have actually just weed myself. <laughs> What's steaming up the mirror? Why is she using a mirror? Hot water. Does anyone else use a mirror? Because I don't. Oh, I just explained she's like an egg on legs. She can't see. Well, it doesn't matter. Just go by feel, surely. Yeah, what's steaming <laughs> up the mirror? And why is she using a mirror? She nearly <laughs> removed her own clitoris. <laughs> oh, I've done that when you slept with a razor before. That's probably why she's using a mirror. She's had a probably <coughs> an unfortunate... Nasty gash. Yeah. And then... <laughs> oh, the mirror steams up before she can get to side two. So basically, she has to do half a job and then she does it side two tomorrow. What happens if she gets too busy and then she gets plans and then she can't get around to doing the other side? That's no a sight idea. to behold, isn't it? Imagine if you were like, oh, sorry, I've only got around to doing one side. Half and half. Making going on. <laughs> How do you like your curry? Half and half. Chips and rice you're into the balls i've got the left or if you're like a bit hairier i've got the right oh like one of those like people who dress up as a woman on one side and a man on the other and do opera it must be seven days a week job just literally ticking all boxes (laughs) the moral of the story is i haven't got any normal friends but everybody's done the imac thing where you put it on, got a bit distracted by the kid, then got rid of the imac because you can't be bothered to go through the two-day palaver of shaving yourself, and then you give yourself burns. You know what is serious? If you get imac on your hand or something, and then you rub your eye, then your eyebrow and your eyelashes have gone. <laughs> well, you, wouldn't, would you, but you wouldn't do it on purpose, but in this house where I live in craziness, if I get distracted, forget it's on my hand. Someone shouts, where's this? And next thing you know, I've got an eyebrow. <laughs> so we know when you're well-groomed is because you've also got an eyebrow missing. <laughs> what did Sarah do with the old Imac? Well, we, we'll have to change the name. We'll call her Sarah. Sarah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fire crotch. Well, first of all, she had to lift the belly up. <laughs> using the imac that you meant to use on your legs, that cream stuff that doesn't work. It says don't use on your... intimate areas that everybody uses on intimate areas. I'd love to have ten minutes to spare to n- not close my legs. I haven't got time for it to work. <laughs> Do you know what? How much I could get done in that ten minutes? I mean, it's oh, not a thing you apply and then go around Aldi yellow sticker aisle. Let's be honest, Sherry. You, you can't multitask when you're doing this. I need something that I could put on, then go and peg out the washing, walk the dog, weed the garden, chop the onions for tea, and then come and remove it. <laughs> if you can't do that, it's no use to me. Well, you can, but then you're going to end up like Zara, <laughs> which Lou is going to tell us about. 
Who is Zara? Is it a real person? It's um, a friend of mine who probably wishes to remain anonymous, but probably wouldn't listen to the podcast anyway. It was getting a bit wild down there. So she got the mic on, but she had to keep holding her belly up with one hand so that it didn't fall back down onto the garden. Anyway, she while she was holding her belly up, one leg on the sink and trying to keep the area not infecting she anywhere must have else. Cramp. She got a bit carried away looking at YouTube videos and Instagram and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, before she knew it... Has she got three hands? (laughs) One's holding her stomach, one's got the earmark, and one's on the phone. Just some kind of tripod. (laughs) Tripod, there's a nickname, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, before she knew it, it'd been like nearly 20 minutes and she said she was... It hit her all of a sudden, this intense stinging and burning... And she had to go in the shower instantly. And it was like ripping off a layer of skin. It was so, so sore. Oh. She'd obviously be better off doing like Platy doing a shaving job over two days. You have to time your Lady Garden tidy up for taking it back to rugby, which the podcast is about. Because otherwise, oh, you get, you know, you've got your tight shorts on and you're in a scrum and pulling, you know. You don't want that friction of, you know, <laughs> regrowth coming back for 80 minutes of the game. Maybe you could just put yeah. one of those hair removal strips on before you go out to play rugby. And hope someone rips it off in the scrum. Probably wouldn't notice. When Jodie did um, second row, she, I think she tried to give me an intimate wax on numerous occasions. But without the wax. The top of the shorts, Jodie, not yeah. the crotch. Yeah. Not the flap. <laughs> not the flap. <laughs> the other one. More grip on the left. Yeah. <laughs> Sandpaper on the left, hairy on the right. <laughs> I said I've never had an intimate wax. I've always like thought, oh, I don't want anyone going down there to pay. What is intimate about waxing? How Who put intimate and waxing in the same sentence? I've had a full, um, what's it called, Hollywood? Wax full on, body. wax off. That's yeah. a Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> That's a karate kid. Yeah, wax on, wax off. Yeah. Jesus. It's just the overwhelming urge to fart in any given situation when you're not allowed to or meant to, isn't it? It's like yoga. I can't do that either. You need to cut down on your plant-based diet, love. Do you know why I can't do yoga? I can't do yoga because every time I bend over, I don't fart, I queef. Honestly, (laughs) air gets straight in. I don't know what it is. I bend up. Why does only yoga do it? Well, is it rugby? You know we do that warm up, that fucking warm up shit we do before a game where we're doing like crouching. We're just quiffing all the way through. Child child position. It's a good job it's outside because I'd be able to hear it if it was in a room. There'd be small children going missing and everything. (laughs) If you go down to get something from the bottom shelf in Aldi, there'd be toddlers going. See that noise again, Jenny. It's so quick. Right. There was this one time at work with my with my new uh, colleague. I don't know what it was, like a shop, like a Rexall or a Spruifix. You know, the ones that are like really echoey. And I stepped out and I just fart like this queefed. He's like, did you just fart? I was like, no. I wasn't lying. I was, it was new, so I couldn't exactly tell him that I just queefed in the Spruifix. Oh, Jesus. Oh. <laughs> a bit of both. <laughs> Oh Things you don't expect to hear on a Tuesday evening. What I'm seeing in my head, real life hungry hippos. Sucking <laughs> <laughs> really up balls from every direction. <laughs> oh, is it Miss Ping Pong over here? She's just like... <laughs> I can blow out all my birthday candles. Yeah, like that woman in Benidorm, Sticky Vicky, out comes a Christmas tree. 
Tell you what, you'd get about 400 quid a night for that in Benidorm. Yeah, we could hire you out. You could literally have your own show. It's Jodie, the human hungry hippos. <laughs> I'm hoping the girl that I'm dating now really doesn't listen to this oh, episode. Well, she's probably going to strap a, a plank to her ass in case she gets taken. <laughs> she may never be seen again. <laughs> Tether herself to the floor. <laughs> Don't save her three days. Just go in the bathroom and have a look for her. <laughs> Over two days. Yeah, if you haven't seen it for a week, book yourself a smear test. That'd be a bit of a shock, wouldn't it? You know, <laughs> bloody hell! Yeah, <laughs> the various items up here. There's some abnormal <laughs> cells in here. It's another human. And somebody shook my hands. <laughs> yeah, someone passes out the spatula from inside. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> my work here is done <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ oh my god oh my god right oh, anyway what's that equipment in rugby are you really sitting in that position your laptop could vanish what was that a wizard's sleeve I said are you really <laughs> sitting in that position the laptop's gonna go oh my god we do not in a, in a minute if it all goes dark in Jodie's room you know what's happened looking at a black square that's not a black square you're looking at. <laughs> and who's she? You turn the lights off. <laughs> and that's where I put my pint. <laughs> like, I'm glad I've retired. <laughs> I've never been able to look at you the same in a warm-up ever again. Next time a tackle oh pad God. goes missing, we know where to look. If anyone ever says in a warm-up, what was that noise? We're all going to look at you, Joe Diggo. No. When you think the game's been whistled off and it's not the whistle. <laughs> Where's our scrub off gone? How can it possibly be full time? It only kicked off ball. 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know those little robotic hoovers that you can buy that just go round on the floor on their own, sucking things up? She's a human one of them. Do you know what? Ones. I really regret telling you about the sesame fanny now. <laughs> I only mentioned that yoga is not for me because I have the overwhelming urge to fart in a quiet environment for comedy value. But you know, <laughs> look where we are. And look where we are. You know, I just you know <sighs> feed, the, feed the monkey. Jody's now done a weekly shop and doesn't need a bag for life. He's just feeding the pony, Joyce. Just feeding the pony. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Anyway, I feel a bit faint. So after all that, anyway. <laughs> Dear Auntie Shez. Oh my. <laughs> I hope you don't mind me writing to you. I listen to the podcast regularly and find it very helpful knowing that there are people like me out there too. Although I really wish I hadn't Googled fake taxi. I had a massive <laughs> shock and work were not happy about it at all. Oh God, does she live in Rembury? <laughs> <laughs> not again. <laughs> anyway, my question is this. I'm in my 40s now, and much of my rugby team are a lot younger than me. I occasionally feel a bit out of place when they are tick-tocking and twerking in clubs and talking about Love Island. I'm much more comfortable with a bit of Take That and some reruns of The Vicar of Dibley these days. What can I do to be a bit more down with the kids? It's starting to affect my confidence, not to mention them parading around in their active wear, making me feel a little bit self-conscious. Yours faithfully, Danny from Sutton Coldfield Ladies. She obviously needs a night out. Doesn't have to be Nantwich, could be anywhere, but she could have a night out at Nantwich, possibly with our rugby team. She clearly needs to get herself over to the taxi rank outside B&M at the end of the night, but make sure at some point during the night she loses her purse. (laughs) And that's it. Basically, it's very straightforward. 
I know where the purse is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to spend half an hour with Jody the Human Hoover. A purse will vanish without trace. She needs to get a taxi. She, it needs to be a long taxi journey. So obviously, if she's from wherever you just said, getting a taxi from Nantwich to there'd be great. And then she'll obviously we know how it's going to go because when you don't have your purse in fake taxi, there's only one way you can pay. It's going to be a lively old journey back for her. How does that make her down with the kids? You know, she won't be like old and boring anymore. Once she's sampled that, she's not going to go back the other way, is she? Once she's had a bit of fake taxi, she's not going to go back to crochet in a blanket. She'll be on that taxi rank every night of the she week. She won't be able to. Exactly. She'll have cramp. <laughs> her hands will have seized up. So that's it, yeah. She needs to get a bit of fake taxi in her life. And being down with the kids will be the furthest thing from her mind. She won't care about that anymore. Jodie, you're a kid. You're the youngest on the podcast. I'm old now. Close to 30. You're adulting, yeah. Down with the kids. <sighs> I don't I do don't the whole down with the kids thing. I actually said to Regan today, I'm actually terrified to go to sleep in my own house in case someone takes a photo of me because every minute of my life is photographed or filmed for something. I feel like I live in Big Brother. I'm heard repeatedly going around the house going, I don't want to be in your documentary. I don't want to be in your documentary. It's all I ever say because every time I turn around, there is a child filming me for something. I think she gets to learn a TikTok dance. Yeah. I get down with the do kids. Do a TikTok dance. Do you know any TikTok dancers, Sherry? No, I haven't got TikTok. If you have a look, you're bound to find me because I can't do anything. I come out of the bathroom, there's a child there going like that in front of me. I'm in the kitchen making tea. I'm in it. I'm driving along in the car. Regan's filming me. <laughs> I'm on everything. I don't even know what I'm on, but I've gone global. Oh, no. <laughs> Some serious privacy issues. Me and my kitchen crew and all my kitchen staff have seen videos and photos of you. <laughs> I did not grant permission. What was I doing? Was I asleep? Because that doesn't surprise me. It's when you lost those 10 hours. Those 10 hours are documented. You know about the movie, The Hangover? <laughs> what you were doing, you were drugged and they made it. They put you in all these different positions and scenarios over 10 hours. There was just a team of welders getting you out of your dress. Oh, it's very bizarre, because I know, you know, Batty. Oh, with an angle grinder. Batty, when you picked me up that night, what did I say to you? What was my words to you? Oh, my God, I've just had the most traumatic experience. You're not going to yeah. believe what I had to do. What did I have to do? Well, if I'd arrived 10 minutes earlier, I'd have had to help, wouldn't yeah, I? She basically had to, get to go around and get the neighbour. The neighbour who I don't dress. know, who we've never met, I had to go and knock on the door and ask the woman to put me in the dress. Because I was out of options. There was nobody in this house. But it was arriving in a minute. I couldn't get the boobs in. and Because the, the zip. And so there's no possible way in this world that I got myself out of that dress after a litre of vodka when I couldn't get in it when I was sober. So how did it get off? No idea. Mystery. <laughs> Mystery. That Maybe you just had that drunken superpower that you get when you've had so much alcohol. You know, like the beer coat and the beer scooter that gets you home. You even have one of those little hook and eye things at the top. Bizarre. I think you just created new superpowers. Yeah. You just like dislocated your own arms, basically. Yeah. And then got out your dress and then put them, your arms back in their sockets, possibly. I don't know. Mm. It's very random. It'll be on TikTok in a few months, probably. Probably on it now. Louise has probably seen me on it. Stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref. It wasn't anything I did but I got to watch it. It was just one of those things that, you know, when you sit there and you think, I really don't get this at all. Uh, one of my friends actually got penalised for 
holding the ball up over the try line. He, um, <laughs> he gave her a yellow card and gave yellow the card. opposition. Yeah, she got yellow carded. She was sat there and sometimes as the vice captain, people come up to you and just assume that you know everything. And she was like, so why did I get yellow carded? What did I do wrong? And I was like, um, nothing, because you can hold the ball up over the try line. It absolutely blew my mind. We just sat there. We lost a player for seven minutes because we only play 35-minute halves. She was like, I, do, I just don't get it. And I was like, I really can't explain it to you because a lot of things, like a lot of rules, as we know with rugby, once you're past the try line, they go out the window a little bit. He was just like, yeah, you can't stop her from scoring a try. And I was like, I, I think she can. <laughs> you know, it was like no offsides or anything. It was just, I've tackled this girl and I'm underneath her and now she can't put the ball on the floor. And he said, yes, you can't do that. Did he award the try as well? Well, they got a penalty try. So she got a no. yellow card. Yeah, she got a yellow card and they got seven points. <laughs> wow. Yeah, That's it amazing. Was, it was a moment. That's incredible. So Viona, she's a referee that um, listens to the podcast. Fiona, if you're listening to this and you have an encyclopedic knowledge of the law book, so perhaps if there is a law that has been broken here by the Oval players, please get in touch because we'd love to know why you would get a yellow card for stopping somebody from scoring. But really what you should get is a round of applause and somebody to buy you a pint after the game. Yeah, no pints bought for her because obviously we lost seven points, but <laughs> still can't explain how, how she managed it, especially with no sort of offsides or anything. I was like, that is a good effort. She had to pay a hefty fine for it as well. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Excellent. Saturday the 27th of August will see an historic day for grassroots women's rugby. Exeter Saracens will be hosting Launceston Women and the inaugural Grassroots Women's Rugby Podcast Invitational Binges 15 in a mini-tournament. Come meet Victoria Rush and hear all about the amazing documentary No Woman No Try. Enjoy a smorgasbord of rugby mediocrity with live music, food and fun for just £10. If you are in the Exeter area or just fancy a day out, Sign up to come down or play rugby with the podcast crew in this fantastic day of rugby. Refereed by the brilliant Viona Brunt, there'll be a minimum of three games to watch or play in. If you're interested, get in touch with us at grassrootswomen at hotmail.com or through social media. All are welcome. It's interesting though, because one of the things I wanted to talk about tonight was that sense of parity. And one thing that I think the women's game has done really well is go into it and try and do it exactly the same way that the men's players do. Same size pitch, same number of players, same amount of time played, same size ball and so on. But I saw a really interesting post of the day, um, like one of the uh, international players, like Maggie Alfonso or someone, talking about whether it'd be a good idea to have a smaller ball, which really got me thinking because on the one hand, it makes total sense. And on the other hand, it kind of sends us down the same line as this, isn't it? It's like saying, well, the men's game, the women's game can't be equal because things are different. I understand the comment of maybe it should be a smaller ball because I guess women have generally got smaller hands. But if everything else is the same, why should the ball be any smaller? Or what we're going to say, the pitch is shorter or narrower and the time's less? No. But you know me, I'm like, I will not be beaten. If there's a challenge, men versus women, I'm like, no, I don't want you to make it easier for me. In fact, I want you to make it harder. Uh, and I'll still prove to you that we can boss it. Yeah, I think I'm with uh, Lou there. We were talking about this at the weekend because we were talking about kind of people carrying the ball one-handed. And I was like, 
Well, your case, claw handy. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> enough about the claw. <laughs> no more claw. My hands aren't big enough to be able to carry the ball one-handed. So I'm always like, comments never directed at me. But I also think that we've just been taught with that size ball. And I don't really feel like my game is not as good because it's a specific size ball. And I'm not sure. I don't know. I think... I'm with you, Lou. That's not necessarily going to be something that massively disadvantages us. So, and also we've got Chobs and she was like, oh, my hands are massive. I can, <laughs> I can carry it with two fingers. So you've got so much variation between players anyway, that you can't really do something that's going to fit everybody. But I mean, I don't know what other people think. I agree with Lou and Dobbs, you know, I think we're fighting to be equal. So do we really want to come and go, oh, actually, yeah, we'll have a smaller ball or whatever? Yeah, because they say, oh, well, they have got a smaller ball. So, yeah, of course it's going to be easier. We already have the size threes and the, you know, size fours for when you're coming up through the age group. And actually, like Dub said, especially with like the way people develop these days and the, there is a lot of bigger ladies and it's not kind of like, oh, women are tiny like they used to be. I think, could you imagine Marley Packer or... You know, Sarah Hunter going around with a size three rugby ball. It just, let's just play with a tennis ball, sod it. You know, <laughs> don't worry. Make sure we can get it in all our hands. But it's a good suggestion. But I just don't think when we're fighting to be equal, we can turn around and go, do you know what? Yeah, let's make our lives easier. Because like Dub says, I don't, I don't think it would enhance many people's games really you might be able to do a, a better spin pass or a bit more out of the back passing like one-handed but we've managed so far with the big ball so I think I'm pretty used to it like that doesn't seem like a, do you know what I mean but then maybe that is because I haven't got little claw hands like dubs but we're always saying don't hold the ball with one hand, hold it with two hands. Why would we need a smaller ball anyway? I've been bollocked for holding the ball in one hand and trying to do some sort of show-off thing. Hold the ball with two hands. <laughs> so what does the size matter? Size doesn't matter. The, uh, the oh, no, no, size doesn't matter. That's it's a the whole size of the different ship. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing I found interesting about it was that the argument for was largely around kicking, right? So the ball's smaller, women are smaller, they have less muscle mass in their quads and so on, meaning that they can't kick the ball as far as men and so on, right? So making the ball smaller means it's easier and the ball flies further. So the one thing that's killing rugby in the men's game is kicking. So when I went to see Saracens against uh, Worcester a couple of weeks back, there was one point in the game where there might as well have only been two players on the pitch and a giant net between them because it was just ping pong, ping pong, boring, right? One of the great things about watching the women's game is there's less kicking and there's less distance in the kicking. So it's just more interesting. So why would you want to create a situation where there's more kicking and therefore less flying rugby? I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I didn't even think of it from a kicking perspective, to be honest. I was more thinking about passing, but it is a valid point. I kind of disagree in a, in a way, Matt, because I enjoy watching the men's game about how well they use the kicking. And I do think it would be great to bring in some more kicking for the women's game, especially in grassroots. Like the people that use kicking to their advantage are the top tier. You know, even in our league, the likes of Sale, uh, Bishop Auckland, Sheffield, that have people that can kick and use it to their advantage, are quite a lot above the, well, it's game the rest changing, of the league. It? It's very much game yeah. changing. If you've got a kicker, 
yeah, that can really put the ball about, it completely changes the way you play. I don't know how much difference it would make, really. Are we saying that someone can kick a ball further? Are we saying it like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think my kicking technique's pretty or out of hand, but bang average off the tee. I don't think having a smaller ball would make me any better. I'd just make me more likely to miss, to be honest. <laughs> so I've got less to aim for. <laughs> so I don't know if it'd help me in any way, but yeah. hey ho. It's also a little bit cliche, isn't it? That to appeal to women, just pink it and shrink it. You know, just yeah. make everything little for the little claw hands and they'll be fine. You know, it's like, come on. <laughs> you know, the game's evolved. <laughs> the women's game's evolved without having to change the equipment. So why do it? But that said, I think other sports, so cricket is the one that I really think needs some thinking around that. Right, so I'm six foot one. I've got a pretty large wingspan because of my stupidly long arms. I play cricket to a decent standard. And, but I've never had any trouble getting the ball 22 yards with a bit of pace, right? Watching the women's game, very few players are anywhere near my height, right? And yet they're using the same length pitch and the same weight ball. So what that means is that it's much, much harder for them to generate pace onto the ball, which therefore makes it much less intimidating for batsmen. So you're getting batsmen that are in the women's game that are starting to get really, really good at it. And yet the bowling isn't keeping up in pace because they just simply can't do it. Anyway, Dubs, you've got a scientific argument, I realise. I feel like this is going to go down a very boring route, but I'm fairly certain that if you make the ball smaller, it's not going to go further. It's about the weight, isn't it, of the ball? But I'm not going to get into it because I feel like this is this is not the exciting uh, thing that people want to listen to. Let's listen to a physics podcast. All right, Matt will edit it out. Don't worry. <laughs> no, that's yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just talk about the size of the ball and uh, that it doesn't matter about the size. It's what you do with it. So we'll leave that in. <laughs> On that note, Jodie, welcome back. I think to sum it up, the science is the smaller balls, the shorter it lasts. There <laughs> <laughs> oh, she is. Jodie's here. Jodie's back from holiday when she fell back on the cock. I didn't touch cock. The cock tried to touch it's me. The balls. <laughs> How was your holiday? Do you want to walk us through the, the highlights? I binned off Yousef. It's not a thing. The highlights. Uh, so. Second day, so I was supposed to go on holiday with a partner. She bailed out because she's not my partner anymore. So I took my nan with me. Went to Turkey. Like, my nan's like the person who comes with me whenever a girl lets me down. Honestly, she's always there to go on holiday because friends usually have like, you know, jobs and lives. But when you get a pensioner, they're quite free. So easy to get them booked in. So oh yeah, I went God. there about second day. This bloke who's like, does the promotion for the hairdressers. The no, the hairdressers guy, obviously. Oh, wow. He comes chatting to me and he's like, oh, cool, yeah, yeah, oh, chatting. And like, oh, he just gets to start being creepy. Oh, he's like, oh, you're so beautiful. And he's like, you got a husband? I'm like, oh, fuck no. I knew I should have put a ring on. Before I went out, I was like, should I put a ring on? I just don't want a tan line on there. I, I don't want creepy men and coming Not after a me. nipple ring, Jodie, though. Yeah, <laughs> no, because that's I mean. mother. Come hither. So I was like, no didn't put a ring on and then he's asking me all these questions and then he asked my instagram i was like fuck okay here's my instagram and then he messaged Why? me on instagram because oh, i can't say no to people oh what are you, you doing just, have you never <laughs> been in a club and someone says hey can i have your number you're like yeah oh seven eight one two three four five <laughs> i was on instagram when he came up and asked me for my instagram so so just really say, say no. no yes you can say I'm no jody then he sees my Instagram and he goes, message me saying, oh, it's a silly question, but do you like boys or girls? I'm like, well, I don't know if the rainbow flags and all the pride events I've been to gives it away, but I do like women. 
the so, undercut and the dungarees and the yeah the doc martens gave it away i think he sends me a video later ask, asking these questions i'm just in the lift with my nan i can't hear it so i just turn it up and he's like do you like to be sat on or do you like to sit on i'm like fuck turn it off turn it off turn it off, turn it off. <laughs> oh my god and then i just ignored it for the rest of the, the holiday it just made me feel sick and disgusting oh but then he came up to me at one point during the holiday i was lying there just minding my own business in my bikini feeling okay just sunning it up comes over grabs a roller muscle muck and says you need more discipline i'm like really? uh, no <laughs> is this how you get in a girl's oh, knickers oh. this is your graft and i was just like taken aback i didn't know what to say i was like Did i you like food him? too much yeah oh, judy take no notice of that <laughs> and it's a good job it wasn't me or Matt lying on the sun lounger because he'd have yeah, yeah. more than one roll to grab he onto, was, let's face facts. Was, yeah, and he'd find himself face down at the bottom of the swimming pool if he did that to me. <laughs> <laughs> you need more discipline. No, I need more beer. Yeah, more beer. More yeah. beer. Yeah. I was thinking, though, it is quite a nice job to have, really, for him, because every seven days you get a new girl to flirt with, really. It's just like a rotating carousel of women. You're in the wrong job, Jody. Clearly, he's not really got enough practice of flirting with women, if, uh, if that's his thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he needs more practice, that's for sure. <laughs> he Definitely. He needs a few um, a few tips, doesn't he? He's probably after a few more tits, but not tips. I did, did some tip. work yeah. for the podcast, and I made a knock-on, knock-off. Oh, did and you? I, did, I made a knock-on, knock-off, <laughs> didn't I, Lou? You might yeah. have done. Yeah, I gave it to Lou to uh, read out. Right. You sent it to me, but you weren't very specific that, I thought you were understanding that I'd just worked an 80-hour week and you were giving me the inside edge with the answers to the questions, right? <laughs> so it made it made me look like I know geography. Um, <laughs> so I, you didn't specifically say that I have to be the one to present it. Actually, on, on that note, massive shout-out to, to Joyce and to Katie for oh, the last yeah. episode because they jumped in at the last minute. Molly was too busy being violently rear-ended on the Tubit roundabout. <laughs> Stop it! Dubs <laughs> 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 was too busy getting measured for her custom Cheshire kit. Um, and Jodie was... Well, Cheshire kit Jodie was doing her bit, you know, for British-Turkey relations over in, uh, <laughs> in Turkey. And literally, Lou and I were left literally holding the baby uh, and both of them stepped in. Katie, by the sounds of it, like basically did her podcast whilst underwater, judging by the sound quality. But Joyce cooking a bolognese and putting her kids to bed at the yeah, same definitely. time, like what but, the fuck, but, man? Yeah, but we tackled an extremely challenging subject. I thought tactfully and with some degree of humour. So thanks, guys. It was really appreciated. It was really good. I did listen to it, and I was thinking at one point, I was like. God, they're all over 40, aren't they? It's like a mother's meeting. At the end oh, of my the God. Right, whoa, whoa, off. whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Know your audience, Jodie. Okay, she's only 35. Jesus. Come on, give us some credit. Oh, that's true. I'm only 30, yeah. <laughs> like 34. Anyway, I think that brings us nicely on to Knock On, Knock Off. Have you got one for us? Are you just going to give us the same one as last time? That Do you know what? I am. To? I am, and if she gets it right, she should fucking get it right, if she doesn't. <laughs> so i just go through my messages right now. So I made a Turkish theme, knock on, knock oh, off, because brilliant. I was in Turkey. And I thought it'd make it easier for all you non-geographites. Geographite? What the hell's a geographite? Is that a word? <laughs> it is now. It's not a word. So, yeah, let's play knock on, knock off, or as Matt likes to call it, shit facts about places in the world. <laughs> <laughs> 
We shall begin with Istanbul Ottomans. Is that a knock-on or a Ooh. knock-off? I'll answer on. last. Knock-off. Knock-on. 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 Anybody Matt, else? Knock-off. Knock Luke, what are you going for? Knock-on. You think it's a knock-on, do you? Weird. You yeah, come right, established Lou. in 1999 by French and English foreigners. Oh, my God. <laughs> you are so right. Thank you. you. Thank you. You are so knowledgeable, Lou. <laughs> Told you. Know my shit with the geography. <laughs> <laughs> You're a geographite. Where is Istanbul out of interest? Um, to- <laughs> 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 I'll give you a clue. There's a Turkish theme. Well done, Lou. Oh, stressful, <laughs> even though I've got the answers in front of me. Uh, the <laughs> second team name is the Mela Agris Galapovos. The Mela Agris Galapovos. Knock on. Knock on, Laura. Knock off. Knock off. Oh, I've, I'm not very good, am I? I'm just going to go knock on. Knock on, Mol. Lou, what are you going for? Well, I would say knock on. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I'd say knock <laughs> on. <laughs> because it's actually the scientific Latin name for a wild turkey. This is bollocks. <laughs> like, she can't even get it right with the answers. <laughs> You're kind of ruining the game as well. <laughs> that is correct, Lou. It is the Latin name for a wild turkey. Well done. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> okay, third one. We have Cock University. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> that cannot be. Uh, spell K O C. Kind of university I want to go to. <laughs> Did you go yeah. to it? Oi, oi. <laughs> I mean, you got a master's. You got a double first for there, would you? PhD from <laughs> Cock University. <laughs> Sherry would deliberately fail so she could retake it every year. <laughs> what are we thinking? Gosh. Knock on or knock off? Every time I go with one, it's the opposite. So whatever I say, everyone go the other. What do you think then, Mo? Knock off. Knock on. Knock on. Knock on. Knock on. Lou, were they right to go with Molly or against Molly? Well, I'm saying knock on. It was established in uh, 2010. Oh, God. (laughs) Well done. You're so good at this, Lou. Honestly. (laughs) The fourth one at the Caradinners. The Caradinners. The Caradinners. Knock off. Caradinners. Knock off. I think that's how I'm pronouncing it. Is that right, Lou? <laughs> <laughs> the, the Turkish native amongst us. Jesus <laughs> Mustafa Reed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Kara Dennis. Yeah. Okay. Knock off. Knock off, Matt. So I would say that's a knock-on, but I don't have any background information on that one. Oh, do you not? No. No, Jodie, I don't. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's a knock-on. Oh, Jodie's let you down. <laughs> She's let herself down. The last one, Capra Dolma. Is Capra Dolma a real rugby club? Capra Dolma. Knock-off. Knock-off? Yeah, I'm going knock-off just so that I potentially might get one right. Knock-on. I've got knock-off the last two. Knock-on, Matt. 
Lou, what do you think it might be? Well, I think it's a knockoff, Jodie, because it's, <laughs> it's traditional. Yes, dish. finally. It's essentially vine leaves rolled and filled with either well-seasoned rice or mincemeat. Oh, how did you know these things? Jesus, you know my shit about turkey, man. (laughs) (laughs) That was Uh, a car crash. I love it. I don't know who won. I think Lou might have won that one. I think congratulations for the first and only time ever. (laughs) Anything to do with geography? (laughs) The fuck. Brilliant. Well done. I didn't keep score of anyone else, but Lee did amazing. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Anybody <laughs> listening and playing along, apologies for wasting five minutes of your life. <laughs> you would have oh, had this God. last week if Lee had stepped up and done a job right. This is Molly's Grassroots Salutes. not a lot's going on it's all kind of like end of season pictures going up looking for new coaches there's a lot of people that seem to be out looking for people to attend their sevens competition I don't really have one and that's not me just feigning responsibility I just haven't seen anything that's been anything above and beyond the other people so I really want to go and do a beach rugby but I just don't know one if my ginger skin can cope that's going to be a factor 50 for the whole weekend kind of job and also the um, amount of fitness you need to be able to run on a uh, beach oh my god it's going to kill you it's going to kill us all and also your knees are going to be screaming yeah there's going to have to be some serious uh, knee pads but i just thought um i'd just maybe do a couple of shout outs for some of the sevens tournaments and tens that are going on to try and get some more entries so a few people have instagrammed me we've got Wallingford RFC that have got a women's social sevens tournament on Saturday the 25th of June they're raising money for Marie Curie which is really cool they've got um, lots of live music etc then we've got Sari's Fest from our Bezzies at Exeter Saracens oh I don't know if this is a sevens this is just an actual like festival so it's um, barbecue music party in the clubhouse and basically they're trying to raise some money for the club 10 pounds do a shout out for the massive after party at sarah's house afterwards as well oh yeah don't forget we'll um design a facebook page and check everyone in so everyone's invited free entry stay as long as you like fridge will be full of beer (laughs) go around to sarah's house (laughs) is is she aware of this she's now she is now (laughs) We'll all be there. Um, so, yeah, Sari's Fest is on. Sorry, Sarah. I blame Matt. Uh, Saturday, the 2nd of July, and that's one till half past 11 at night. I don't know why it's so specific. And also, just a lot of people looking for head coaches. So, there's Hitchton Ladies RFC looking to hire a paid assistant coach. Blown it. Don't tell our coaches. They don't get paid. They get paid in love and satisfaction from the team, though, Molly, don't they? You can't put a price on that. I mean, Josh does, I'm not, and Sean, actually. He does on Tuesdays. But um, I'm not sure what... Pem- yeah, I'm not sure about Pembo. This is Grassroots News with Lou.
There's been an interesting post on the Women's Rugby Network, and I'll just read it out to you. It's someone called Becca Bowes asking for some advice. She dislocated and fractured her ankle and fibula in January, and after a couple of surgeries, a few new bits of metal in her leg and a very rubbish and isolating few months slowly got back into exercising again. Turns out it's not ideal for the waistline when you sat down for 12 weeks, stress eating curly whirlies. Who knew? On the pitch, she was used to giving some big hits and managed to get away fairly unscathed, I'm guessing for quite a while, so it was only a matter of time before she ended up in hospital. However, the fearlessness she used to have to just smash her opponents into the ground has completely gone, and she's currently too scared to even attempt to try and run again, let alone get back on the pitch. So what she wants to know is, has anyone managed to get back to playing full contact after a big injury? Is it more the mental aspect uh, that she's worried about rather than the physical, as she doesn't honestly think she could tackle or let herself be tackled again? But just wondering, for those who have managed to get back into it, how long it took to get your confidence back, worried about re-injuring herself and with every normal step, never mind um, getting back on the pitch. So as the next season's approaching fast, she's thinking she might have to abandon the playing shirt and become very good at being a hydration specialist. You know, Matt forwarded me that earlier and I just thought how much it resonates. I mean, personally, but I know for a lot of us, when you've been totally fearless on the pitch for a long time and then you have a big injury with surgery, the mental aspect of even the thought of getting back on the pitch is such a big thing. Personally, even just being able to hop on my bad leg has had a big mental barrier in front of it and the thought of actually getting back on the pitch and potentially being on one leg throwing the ball and being tackled at the same time is daunting but also the thought about potentially re-injuring myself and what that entails having been through it is such a mental block really and it's it's a really emotional thing it's it's something that really tears you you love rugby so much and you can't imagine not being on the pitch but also you can't imagine going through that all again Jodie obviously you broke your leg playing rugby for crew and switch and yet you've managed to get over the mental barriers of playing again how did you manage it it was actually with the uni team. I was with Crew and Antwich at the time, but it was during a uni game. I think the worst part for me was, I know how she mentions the isolation, when you're injured, when you're out and you can't see people and you're in pain and your mobility is impacted. You can't do things that you used to do. It's so horrible and it can take you to a dark place when you're in that sort of injury stage. So I think that's the bit that I struggled with most. I think one of the first games I came back was the cup. And I was so petrified of being tackled. I did get a tackle and it wasn't a big tackle, but the fear, straight away, the fear, someone landed on my bad leg and I just screamed because I was in such panic that shit, it's going to break again. Oh my God, it's going to break again. Even though it's got a metal bar, I thought it was going to break again. It took me a while to get over that. I think knowing that you can break something and get fixed and be where I am now, I do have a bit of pain in it now and again when the weather changes it gets a bit funny sometimes and I get a bit hobbly and have to leap on it but what actually gets me is the fact that I know if I break a leg the drugs the NHS give you oh it's so worth <laughs> it honestly you've got some um, liquid morphine have you still 
No, I was given ketamine in the hospital. <gasps> Shut up. It was so good. I was on gas and air in the ambulance, on ketamine in the hospital. <sighs> it was good shit. Apparently, my dad was there with me. He said a few weeks later, he was like, you really took a fancy to that junior doctor, didn't you? I was like, did I? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, why? What did I say? It's like, no, we just made it very obvious that you were attracted to her. I was like, for fuck's sake. I was off the face <laughs> flirting with this girl. Do any situation in life that you don't regard as a potential opportunity to get laid, Jodie? <laughs> I can just see you going to like a, a funeral somewhere, just hitting on the bereaved or... When I'm not sober, it... I am a lech. A I, I just uh, myself. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Even when you are sober, you're a bit of a lech. <laughs> Yeah, when we get a new girl at training, Jodie's first to know all the facts, knows the bio, how many people she's slept with, what blood group they are, everything. She's already done a full vetting before somebody drops us a message to say they're joining. <laughs> you do a background check, haven't you? You've got to get to before your reputation gets there first, though, haven't you, Jodie? That's the thing. Yeah, I can't let them know from other people first. So. <laughs> no. Um, so what about you, Molly? So you've had an injury this season and you've carried on playing after a very short, convalescence actually for the type of injury it was so how did you feel when you got back on the pitch a bit of background I'd absolutely smashed the pre-season I'd had a PT I'd done more fitness than I'd ever done I was probably in the fittest I've ever been in a pre-season pre-season went really well went to our first away game at Darlington and I genuinely you don't ever expect to get injured, do you? You don't ever go onto the pitch oh, no, pre-injuries I and mean, big injuries. You always anyway. go on the pitch fearless, um, like it's not going to happen to me because you wouldn't go on the pitch otherwise, would you? No, and so bad tackle, as everyone knows, went down. Honestly, I've never experienced pain like it. The physio came over being all like, la, 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 la. And, and, and I was like, get my boot off me. And I was like, I just need dubs, go away. <laughs> and Dubs is there holding my hand because we both knew, me, Josh, Dubs, Sean, all knew. We were like a little group gaggling around me that that was pretty much probably the first half of the season out the window. I think the worst bit for me was, like Jodie said, the bit where you, you feel helpless. So I like doing everything for myself. I'm very independent. I'm very stubborn, aren't I, Lou? <laughs> so the bit of not being able to look after yourself, I feel like if, if it was a concussion or maybe my ear had fell off or, you know, something. You put a nail through your finger. <laughs> yeah. Typical source skate. No. <laughs> my leg, I could not use it. It was on crutches. I couldn't walk. It hindered a bit of my 30th when I was axe throwing on crutches. And I wasn't able to go to training. So I lost that mental health output. So I exercise to feel better. I've always done that. And that's what rugby is. It's my outlet. You take that away from you. How do I manage my mental health? How do I get that? The endorphins going round, And that was for me the hardest bit. But then I think getting back onto the pitch, we had a scratch 15, a couple of games. There was no one to play. I shouldn't have gone back when I did. But obviously crew means a lot to me and I wanted us not to get relegated so I thought I'll oh, just you know we'll strap it up it's not like we're strapping a flap we'll just strap my leg put the knee pads on and just you know and I didn't play very well I wouldn't say I was the best I've ever played because I was carrying an injury but I found it frustrating so there's two bits don't go back too soon because then if you're a bit like me and a perfectionist you criticize your performance even though you've got a bad injury but the other bit is when Jake, the physio, told me that my leg was 80% there of my good leg, that's when my game changed on the pitch. Because before then, I didn't have the confidence that my leg would hold. 
I'd done all the rehab, I'd been to the gym, lifted weights. And it was when he told me that my knee was good enough and strong enough to play properly. That's when I gained my confidence back on the pitch. And I was running my lines again and I was going into contact, not like, you know, half-heartedly and stuff. So I think it's going to take time. It's genuinely going to take time for her. But as long as she does the rehab and doesn't rush going back, have the confidence that your body's going to do what it always did. You don't have a cold and then never go out again because you're too worried about catching a cold. You go out because you want your life back. And I guess you need to weigh up what rugby means to you. And does the positive of playing rugby for three more games and risk getting injured outweigh the potential of never playing yeah. again. But it's the other thing to say really would be talk to your coaches because there's nothing to be ashamed of of walking out of a session if you're finding it too heavy going or mentally you're struggling with it. Just getting there in the first place is a massive step and a big part of your rehab. So if you get to training, have a warm up, you get 15 minutes in and you think, I just can't do this, whether it's mental or physical, that's fine. Walk away feel good you made that first step to getting back you know it's a massive cliche but the most important part of the journey is the first step but getting there putting your boots on being with your mates even if you just watch even if you just just do the warm-up and then go that's a massive massive part of it so don't feel like you failed if you don't complete your full session just being there in the first place is more than a lot of people are able to do i take that on board as well actually because i know the pressure's on me to return back as you all know i'm extremely stubborn and single-minded that i will never give up but actually in this situation returning from injury and surgery and stuff i think that's going to have to be the case for me turning up is the first step what i can is the second step and actually know your limits and not actually push yourself through the ultimate pain barrier because it essentially, after an injury, it won't do you any favours. Yeah. Whilst this sounds ridiculous, like one of the benefits, if that's the right word, of an injury is you know what really bad injury feels like. So it gives you a better appreciation of where your limits actually are. Because I think when you're new to the game, sometimes you do feel like you can't do any more, you your body's in pieces, the rest of it, and it's nowhere near its limit. It's not even on the same page as its limit. But when you've been through that and you know the difference between a bit of a knock and your ACL ripped in half. <laughs> like, that's not pain. <laughs> it's like childbirth. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's not pain. You haven't had a baby yet. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't had a, a breech baby. Yeah. <laughs> We're no painkillers. <laughs> yeah. With just some ketamine. <laughs> Oh, I think I'm on my own in this group saying that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, good luck, everyone. No, absolutely. But no, I think that's great advice. I've never touched wood. <laughs> Had a, I haven't really played long enough to have a serious injury. But I think like, even if you're kind of out for a little while, coming back to training, even if you're not going to train, I think it, going back to kind of what Mo was saying about like the mental health side of things, it is really difficult to not be part of that team and be you know getting prepared for a game and things like that and it is hard to sometimes just go and sit and watch everybody else training but actually as you said you know if you can just go and you know even if you're just throwing the ball to each other you're just keeping up those skills and still feeling like you've got some sort of involvement I think it goes a long way from the mental side of things as well as kind of building that confidence through the physical development and I was just having a read of some of the comments to Becca's thing on Facebook and one of the people said that when the 
physio had said, like you said, Mole, oh, they said, oh, can I play on this? You know, if I could play tomorrow. And he was like, well, yeah, as long as you're fit enough, then mm. you'll be fine. It's almost trusting somebody with a, you know, a medical background to say, yes, from a physical healing perspective, you're absolutely fine, then gives you that kind of mental overcoming that barrier. Yeah, it's like confirmation, you're okay to do it, your body is capable. And that was, for me, the hardest bit, the belief of, if I get tackled, my knee is going to go, and then we're going to go backwards. But I think small steps is the key, and like Lou says, don't rush, but absolutely, we've all been there. And I think it'd be really cool if Becca could keep us up to date on her journey and let us know how it's going, and that would be maybe even cool to get her on and find out about how, how it's going, because... It's a long process, no matter what injury you do, whether it's hurt you mentally or damaged you physically, whatever it is, it's a long process. So you definitely need good support network and people to drag you up when you're feeling a bit yeah. crappy. So yeah, let's uh, back Becca definitely. and get back that on the pitch. Said, I think some of the responsibility should lie with your teammates as well. If you're in a team now and you know one of your teammates is out injured, if you're not seeing them for a while, drop them a message, go meet them, ask them. I know season's over now, but if there's any sort of socials going on, see if they need a lift there because the mobility is not very well. See how they're doing. A bit like COVID, just check up on them because it is isolated. Go see if they want to come to the next training session or the next social because it's going to make a huge difference. I know I've said this on the pod before, but at one point when I was really struggling, Matt sent me a message saying, oh, there used to be a woman called Lou who played rugby. Are you coming back? Are you okay? Do you want to chat? And I actually found that just incredibly emotional and loving in a sort of rugby way of like, oh, they do actually realise that I've not been there for a while. You know, as you get a bit older, maybe you've had an injury, you've had a life change, be it through work or through childbirth or relocation or something like that. You do feel like a real spare part in a rugby setup, and you feel like you're you know, an afterthought almost. And yeah. you go mm-hmm. from being, and it happens almost overnight, you know, but you go from being massive part of the setup and like mm. you're there all the time, you're training all the time, you're playing one game after the next. It's a really big part of your life. And you never plan it or rarely, very rarely get the opportunity to plan it. Normally, it just happens really gradually. You suddenly find yourself really busy, or suddenly your circumstances change, you maybe get an injury. And you gradually just drift away from the main squad. And it's never a conscious decision. And one day you realise that you feel like a bit of a spare part. And you say, I'm available if I'm needed. Yeah? Or give me a call if you're short. And then that call doesn't really come because they're not short anymore. And you kind of want people to say, I really want you to play. I really want you to be part of the team. I really want you to be part of the setup. But the team just keeps moving on. And you kind of get left behind. And... That feeling can be really, really difficult to kind of get your head around. I mean, I've certainly been there as a player, certainly. And it's only really because I started coaching that I managed to, you know, stop myself feeling down about it. That's quite an interesting point, actually. That So there's there's two different things there. There's the retirement. So, yes, like making that really just difficult decision to kind of step back a bit. But there's also that kind of replacement thing as well so we've had some new people turn up and Sean's been like oh yeah we've got somebody and I reckon it should be a good hooker I'm like what (laughs) and you know you kind of you feel like you've been replaced or you feel like there's somebody coming in that's and obviously as you get older the younger 
players are coming through, which is what we want as a team. But it is that kind of, yeah, how do you get over that? Either having to make the decision yourself to step away or slowly not being the first person that's going to be on that team sheet in that position. I think both of those things are quite challenging things to go through. I think it's hard when you've got such a big team and, and this will be resonate with you a little bit, Jodie, that sometimes he can be really good. So as, as VCs and captains, we try our hardest to check in with people as regular as possible. But that actually becomes quite a full-time job on top of all your other responsibilities. And I think it was me and you, Dubs, actually, that had a conversation about having somebody that's the person that checks in with all the injured players. And it sounds really silly, but like Lou said, Matt doing that was a massive thing for her. Mm. That gave her that, you know, the person, the people want her there and it gives her the push. I sent it to the but wrong Jude, person as well. Oh, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. That was a really good prop. Not, not meant for you. <laughs> it's nice that she actually read it out this time. She did a job when someone was sent over to her. Oh, shut up. <laughs> oh, my God. But it can be quite difficult if you're the person that's always messaging other people. And when you're the one that's injured, you actually find that not many people message you. And I think, and this isn't a dig at anyone at all, but there's been several people that have been injured that have come to me and said, I, you know, I'm always checking in on people, but I'm injured now and no one's messaged me. And that's because they expect that person to be okay. And they expect the person, because they're always kind of that strong person in the team, that actually they don't need people checking in on them. So I think we do have a good network in our team and we do have those people that check in. But Jodie, I don't know if it was you that said to me a while ago when you were out injured once, you felt like coming back mm. was just really difficult. Yeah, you sort of lose your place. Even now, after things change, I used to be so active on the group chat and stuff and I just don't feel like that's my position anymore. You know what I mean? I don't feel like I really want to voice myself anymore. and I just take a back seat in the team. I don't feel like I can be one of the main characters in the team anymore. So if that yeah, makes sense. Totally. The biggest challenge this time of year is that, Molly, I, do you remember when we played in the cup final against Columpton? We lost it. They won it. And I remember the pre-game was a bit crap. It was really hot. The training facilities to warm up weren't brilliant. We had quite a long bus journey and everyone was just all over the place mentally. And I remember saying to you guys before the match, look, one thing you never realise in this stage of the season is this is probably the last time you guys will ever play together. You never think like that, right? You never go out on the pitch thinking, the people around me, this is the last time I will ever play with them. And yet sometimes it is, particularly this stage of the season, because nobody tells you they're going to retire. Nobody tells you they're going to move clubs until it's too late. So it's massively important to, when you look around you in these last games, in these sevens tournaments, in these socials, these end of season dinners, and just like check in with people and live in the moment, you know, enjoy it because maybe the very, very last time you ever do it together. Yeah, I think it's really hard, isn't it, to visualise that at the time, that that could be the last time you walk out onto the pitch. And I'm not saying I'm retiring, but you do think every season as you get closer to retirement that, oh, I don't know if my body's got another season in it or can I really do this? And me and Jordan had a conversation a couple of months ago saying, oh, I think this season will be our last and all this. And it sounds really trivial, no. but you just don't know. Like, you don't know if the next injury that you're going to get is going to be the one that stops you playing. You don't know if you're going to get another job and you're not going to be able to commit to rugby. And you're totally right. It's about 
valuing the people that you've got around you and just enjoying being with your teammates. And even if I look at my friend circle now, compared to what it was like 10 years ago, pretty much my only mates are rugby mates now. I can say that's pretty much me as well. Yeah, yeah You so. know, a few odd exceptions, but it's mainly rugby, rugby family, actually. And that's just the way I love it. Like you say, Lee, like, was it took a little bit of time to get my head around the idea that I'm no longer a player? Nobody really gives a shit whether I can kick off both feet or whatever anymore. Not you anyway, could. but never mind. Yeah. I actually really love my post-playing life within the rugby setup now. I love going down to a club on a Saturday, whether it's uh, to watch the men's or on the Sunday to watch the ladies. I love helping out in training with the juniors, sometimes with the seniors. I love getting involved in this and that. and just love being around all these old rogues and villains that I've played with and coached with and all that, the rest of it over the years. And the reason I still keep my hand in, I suppose, is because people did reach out a little bit when I was absent. You know, when I wasn't around because I had a young family and I had a bad injury that took me out, uh, for quite a few months like if people hadn't kind of checked in and kept me involved and you know invited me to stuff and the rest of it i'd have probably just drifted off and just wouldn't be doing any of it i wouldn't have the friends i've got now this is going to be another barrier to getting me back into playing i do really actually love just actually watching the matches with a pint thanks for listening to the podcast we hope you enjoyed it there will be two more episodes before we break for the summer so in the meantime, don't forget to give us a rate on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Why not come meet us at Exeter Saracens on August 27th? Brilliant finish! This was Grassroots, women's rugby on the roots up.